I can relate to, and I love I love Becca because Becca is so real, and things that we hold back, um, she shows us that, that she's vulnerable, um, and and so I think all of us are where Becca is, and we are we hide it. And I I could be wrong, but even the some of the most successful people I know. Um, when 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 I get alone with them, and they sometimes they've had a few cocktails, um, they they will reveal to me how insecure they are without the Lord. And these are uh, at times uh, men that are uh, and women that have power and wealth and billion dollar funds are managing and uh, and they're lost, completely lost. And I I will tell you for me. Uh, on my walk with the Lord that has just gotten more intense um, every year. Um, and, and, and as I surrender and I, and I, and I have to re-surrender, and, I, and I, I, I'm all in, Lord. I'm all in. In 2012, Howard and I and the family and Carrie, and we said, look, we're, we're yours. We're, we're, whatever that is, that's what we want. We just want to be um, broken and surrendered. And we knew by experience that the time would come because of our brokenness and our willing to surrender that the Lord would bless that. And, and there are scripture that you will be, those that are poor in spirit that are broken and surrendered will be exalted. And in the exalting, there's danger. In the exalting, people believe that you did it um, somehow, that you were responsible for the, the blessing through the trial. And they, they, if we don't do a good job reflecting, no, no, it's not me. It's not me. I, I, I promise it's not me. It's him. I walk around this place um, called Viridian and in amazement at what the Lord has done. Um, the hundreds and thousands of people behind the scenes that you never see that the Lord uses to create such a special place that we walk around in and feel his, his presence. He did it. He did it. This is a miracle of a community that he created because all these people were willing to surrender and say, all right, Lord, this is yours. Even people who didn't know the Lord realized over time, hey, this is different. And it's so interesting to watch those attorneys and, and those uh, 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 Wisconsin uber liberal, you know, design people, new age, um, and they feel it. And they feel it. They can't deny it. The love that's here. And my, I feel a sense of protection, wanting to protect this place. And it's silly because the Lord will protect it. Um, and, and so I'm, you know, on my trip to Israel, um, you get away for two weeks, you, you get an opportunity to spend every waking hour with the, the one in my case, Carrie, that the Lord has put in my life. And we never get to have three meals a day and all day. And, uh, for two weeks, we were just together digging in, pursuing God and, Man, is that good? That, it, it is so good. 
And I know it's not realistic that, that we can do that, but I want more of that in my life. I want more of that time with my loved ones and with you and with our community just seeking God. So my hope is, at least in our business, that Howard and I can build it in a way to where slowly but surely we can transition more into um, just trying to help express in words what a blessing it is to be in God's kingdom. And that's what Jesus wanted for us. So we're going we're gonna to dig in a little bit on, on Israel and, and the lessons there and, and, and Jesus' Jewishness. And I, I think people, uh, I for one, had forgotten that Jesus wasn't a Christian. And I thought about it, but what? What do you mean he wasn't a Christian? Now, he started a movement that someone labeled Christian at some point. But Jesus was Jewish. And he wasn't just, I mean, they were very conservative Jews. It, it, it's believed that his family would go to Passover in Jerusalem. Some families would make that trip, you know, once in a lifetime. Jesus' family evidently made that trip regularly. I mean, they were committed Jewish family. And so um, it's this is a remarkable place. This is this is the Western Wall. And I was overwhelmed at that this, you know, the history of the world has been going on for literally thousands of years in this place. City upon city upon city. I mean, the deeper they dig, the more they find. And the it anchors us. We are grafted in to God's holy people. As, as the Gentile side, we are, we are grafted in. That's our history. The Jewish people, Jesus' history, that's, that's our history. We get to grab on and claim that. So it's in, it, it, the, the more you dig, um, the more amazed you are at, at God and Jesus and what a miracle it is that he was who he said he was given the culture and the times. So this is the most holy place for the Jewish people, the Western Wall, because it's the closest they can get to the Holy of Holies, where the old, where the, during the second temporal period, um, in about 20 BC, Herod the Great started rebuilding. Herod was um, kind of a, a puppet for Rome. He was a Jew, and he started rebuilding the Temple Mount. Magnificently, he took the old temple down and he rebuilt this magnificent place. And interestingly enough, the temple started in about 20 BC, and and it, it the whole and then he died somewhere in like 4 BC. Jesus, according to the calendar, was born somewhere between 4 and 6 BC. I, I don't know why. I'll have to research that some more. But the way the calendar was set, um, and and so when Jesus said, "Come on in," how you doing this morning? Come on, hi, good morning. So the the um, so when Jesus was was this was all um, um, beautiful and different than it is now, uh, but there's remnants of the walls. So the Jewish people love, and we got to go under the tunnels and see, you know, the original streets and Herod's original work, and that big dome of the rock is not a mosque. Some people think it's a mosque. It's, it's basically a marker over the original cornerstone of the temple. Now, there's all kinds of debate about that. 
none of which I think is particularly relevant because Jesus, God no longer resides in the Ark of the Covenant or in the Temple Mount. That whole, Jesus changed all that. And you have a gift that you may not even realize with Jesus that changed everything, and that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to go to Jerusalem, and it's fun, and it's a, it's a cool experience, and for some it helps you draw closer to the Lord. I think some go with this huge expectation that they're going to meet the Holy Spirit at the wall, you know, and they're disappointed. I've heard people say, I went with these huge expectations, and I was so disappointed I didn't, I didn't meet the Holy Spirit at the wall. And um, I, I think that's a reminder to us that he's not at the wall. He's not on the temple mount. He's with you. He resides in you. That power of the Holy Spirit is in you. We just have to surrender. You know, I love that Jesus Take the Will song. Man, I used to sing that thing like crazy because that's how I feel. And we want to control, you know, all the time we want to control. <clears throat> My plea in begging would be to learn how to surrender. Figure out a way in your world, however that works. We're all unique. I've learned that, so I don't have a formula for you. But I know that it's important to surrender. The world will think you're all that. If you learn to surrender well and God starts using you, because if he can trust you, it's amazing what he'll do. And then through that trust and through that work that he uses you, you'll start to be, start to be exalted. Mother Teresa, Tilly Bergen, you, know, you look at the giants in, 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 in our world that we know, um, they, they, didn't, they, didn't, they don't even want to be exalted. And they just point people to Jesus. But the world wants to make them a celebrity. You know, we identify with that. Um, it, it, you know, being in Jerusalem reminded me, it's, it's just this thousands of years of people are the same. Thousands and thousands of years, people are the same. So, um, Acts 1, be, be ye, but ye shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. That's, that's when it started. That's when this movement started. That's when we get grafted in to what Jesus was all about. Um, just a little context. It, Jesus lived during the Roman occupation. So it, the way you would think about that is, say America lost the Cold War and we were occupied by Russia. And Russia um, outlawed any kind of religion. Now, for whatever reason, the Roman people, probably because with Hellenistic uh, from Alexander the Great, they had this Hellenistic approach, and they they would worship all these gods. They even had an altar for the unknown god, and and that's the one that you know Paul would point to and go, that's the one we're talking about, the one you don't know. That's so important. But there was this mindset of you know to control the people, you needed to be tolerant of what they were doing and, and appease them. So they had some they had some brutal things. So Herod the Great was amazing. Herod built. Um, the, Jerusalem during the second temple period. Um, he built Masada. He built Caesarea. And he built a, a, a temple to Caesar Augustus. So he was a politician. He knew where his bread was buttered. So 
Uh, but he was, he was greedy and industrious. So he needed money, and there was no, the land that Rome gave him, there was no real opportunity to make money. So this, he's, Herod was a brilliant in terms of understanding civil engineering. So he built a port, and there's a picture of it from the air. You can see the foundation of the old port. And so they would take barges of concrete and slide them out and sink them and how they even knew how to do concrete. And they built the second largest port in Rome, and the cash flow started pouring in for Herod. Started pouring in. Now he had an economy. Now he could go do other things. And he was paranoid, so he built uh, Masada, which we'll see in a minute. So the, the Jews were regularly uh, abused. And here's the other thing I observed. There were all these sects of Jews. There were Essenes and Zealots and Pharisees, and Jesus most closely aligned philosophically with the Pharisees, believe it or not. And the Pharisees came to the early church's rescue a few times, which surprised me. I'd kind of forgotten that. Uh, the, it's the Sadducees were in the pocket of Rome. Remember the politics. So the Romans loved the temple because what did people do? They'd come to the temple and they'd buy their sacrifices. There was a lot of cash flow going on you know, if you want to find corruption, follow the money, right? So, so um, the Sadducees' homes were really nice. I mean, those, those guys were living high on the hog. So they, they didn't want this Jesus guy coming in and messing up their cash flow stream. Have we changed in 2,000 years? So to me, that's encouraging. Nothing's changed. Human nature has not changed a bit. It hasn't changed. If we're not surrendered to Jesus, who and what are you surrendered to? Think about that. Every day we have to surrender because the world wants you surrendered to something else. Our work, uh, even in the church, we're, we, we run the danger of not being surrendered to Jesus but being surrendered to our service in the church. You know. Um, that quiet time, that reflective time, that, that retreat time, whatever it is for you. You know, we're all different. Some of us need to go in the cave, spend time with Jesus. Um, but it's, it's every day, every hour. How do we integrate our faith into our walk all day, every day? That's what Jesus did. He walked it out every day. One man fulfilled all the scripture, and he knew what his challenge was. So at, Jesus knew that the temple would be destroyed. He saw that the Jewish people would revolt. The, the Romans were abusing the Jewish people at times for a variety of political reasons. They blamed the Jews for everything. Interestingly enough, and we'll talk about next week, uh, Hitler did the same thing. Hitler took advantage of the demonization of a people uh, for his aim, and he almost got away with it. So we're going we're gonna to walk down that road next week. That's a hard road. Next week will be, will be hard, but it's good. It's important. Um, so the Jews were scattered after 70 AD um, all over the world, and they didn't come back to Israel until the 1940s. That's a long time, almost 2,000 years. Um, I, uh, the, the other thing is, um, G, you know, Jesus had to run. He had to, he had to, he had to be... Uh, the, the Lord worked miracles to protect him. 
So in Matthew's gospel, you see a little bit of this. Now when they were departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and be thou there until I tell you, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. All right, this was when the, the um, uh, wise men came and Herod said, hey, when you find this king, call me because I want to come back and tell me because I want to I give him alms. Well, he didn't. He wanted to kill him. So the wise men went home a different route. An angel warned Joseph and they took off to Egypt. All right, so they're, they're up here uh, in Bethlehem and they had to, they had to actually right here in Bethlehem, and they had to run over here to Egypt and get out of this area and get away from Herod. So, you know, that was quite a trek back in the day. And then within a few years, Herod had died. It wasn't long. Um, and, but when he heard that, so Herod died, and they are on their way back. They're going to come back. Well, Herod's son was worse than Herod, Herod Archelaus, right? So, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go, and, and God warned him again in a dream, and he withdrew to parts of Galilee. So rather than coming into this area, they went up into um, the Sea of Galilee area to Nazareth. And Nazareth was just a little town. It, you know, maybe had a couple hundred people in it. And that's where, that's where Jesus grew up, in, in Nazareth. Matthew 5, 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And we'll go through some more of these verses, but Jesus was not about revolt. He, was, he wanted the Jewish people to, to learn to be humble and to let the politics be what the politics were and to focus on loving their people, to focus on growing the body of believers, to helping people becoming more sanctified, really to fix the mess. Because we, we've all got it. We've all got our mess, our sin mess. That we, we're, we're human. We're broken. We have our sin mess. We, and, and we know what it is. We know what it is that we struggle with. Jesus came to help us with that. He wanted us to learn how to turn away from that with the support of a body of believers who we could trust so that we could start to grow out of our mess. That was, that's what Jesus was all about. He, he wasn't about uh, revolt, which was different. You know, the Old Testament was more militant. And Jesus was like, oh, I, got, I got a new message. This, the Holy Spirit's going to dwell in you, and it's, I want you to have a humble spirit. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I believe Jesus believed that if the Jewish people would just seek God and continue to love him, that God would protect them through the trials. And then Matthew 7, 2, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And what measure you meet, it shall be measured against you. We've, we've, we've looked at that before. So, we, you know, we have to make judgments in life. It's hard. If you're... In leadership, you're going to make judgments, and you're going to mess that up sometimes. Um, but Lord says, hey, you know, we do need to make discernments, but 
make sure that, that the filters that you're using to make those judgments, that you're prepared to stand before me and be judged by that same measure. You know, and that keeps us humble in terms of dealing with our kids, dealing with our, our community. Um, and and I, th I think Jesus probably would have bit his tongue a lot at different times. You know, let Caesar, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. You know, the politics of the time. We need to be involved for various reasons, and we'll talk about that next week. Um, Mark 13, 2, and Jesus said unto them, Seest these great buildings? There shall not be left here one stone upon another which now shall not be thrown down. Now, I don't personally think Jesus meant every single stone because there's still some stones around the wall that are there. Now, the temple got completely destroyed, and that may have been what he was referring to. Uh, they, they excavated this out, and you can see this is from that period, 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed and they pushed all the wall over, and those bundles of rock, are left over from the excavations uh, when they destroyed the temple after Jesus died. And those, those crevices in the street um, were there. And, and interestingly enough, all this was vendors. You know, we, have, we, we all want a town center where we can walk and have vendors, and we're working on that, right? So Jesus had a town center, okay? Remember, the temple was big business. And so you come out, and this was a bakery, and there were some other, there's some reasons why they know that. Um, look at the scale. You see these people? You know, uh, the scale of this place was remarkable. And, and, and the, the, don't think for a minute they didn't live good back then. They had, they, they, they had incredible uh, civil engineering. In a lot of ways, I think they were better civil engineers than we were. I love this place. Um, the Sea of Galilee is a lake. So if you've never been the Sea of Galilee. It's a big lake. It's Lake Galilee, right? Um, this is the Mount of Beatitudes. This, then Simon, Peter, uh, this just reemphasizing, you know, Jesus' thought process, right? Uh, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he smote the high priest's servant, and he cut off his right ear, and the servant's name was Malchus. And then Jesus said unto Peter, put your sword up back in your sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? Now, he was frustrated with Peter, still didn't get it, okay? But Jesus wasn't fighting back. He knew what he had to do. And on, on this is the Mount of Beatitudes. There's a beautiful church there. It's a great place to go down by the water and just meditate. And, he, and Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And, and what he meant by poor in spirit was just humility, love, grace, you know, that spirit of tenderness and kindness. You know, when when... When my son went through some tough stuff, um, my initial reaction was during those years was I was offended, spirit of offense. There was no humility. Now, well, I got there pretty quick. It'll humble you. And you love your kids, right? So you react in offense, and then you feel terrible because the Lord convicts you for being a horse's behind. And, and so, you know, I learned just to love him well. And through that experience, I became more empathetic for, for anyone going through uh, tough times. And people cope, sometimes not very healthy. They cope with what they're struggling with. But as a body of believers and as parents, uh, how do we learn to love our children through their coping? You know, that's an important, for me, that was an important lesson. And I think that's what Jesus means by poor in spirit. Are we so humble that we're not offended when our children offend our family name because of the mistakes they made? 
Are we more concerned about why are they making those mistakes? You know, what? how do we come in behind them and just love them while they go through it? And, man, it's tough. It's tough. And if you're one of the families who's dealt with uh, drug addiction or all kinds of things that our kids struggle with, um, it's hard. Sexual addiction, you know, they're addicted to pornography. Our kids are exposed to a lot of stuff at school. So as parents, we just, how do we love them through that rather than, Bowing up with a spirit of offense. You know, that that's Jesus' message. You know, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the most powerful thing. But you have to be broken enough to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and know that you cannot do it in your strength. The kingdom of God operates by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's what I want. I want that power. Herod, I'm telling you, Herod had it going on, right? This is all Herod. So on the left is Masada. Um, what's amazing about this is that there are, uh, this, was, this was Herod's hanging out palace. And this was his, where he would ha- show off a little bit with people. He'd have little receptions here. And this was the main part of Masada. Somewhere in here there was a temple. Um, and, but, you know, he saved kind of the choice spot. And you cannot imagine how high up you are. You feel like an eagle in a cliff. And, and they were able to build all this stuff. And then they brought, they, you, you, you know, how do you get water up here? How do you get water up here? So they built aqueducts from higher up in the mountains. And the aqueducts would bring the water and would go into cisterns that they hollowed out in the mountains. See this little road? The water would come and go into cisterns here. And then they had donkeys that they trained and, and they would have people down here, slaves and others, and the donkeys would go up and down, and, with, and they'd fill the water up and take it up and fill the cisterns on top. And he had a 10-year supply of food and water up on top of the, of the mountain. So when the Jews revolted in, in the 66 AD period, they took over Masada, and they were there until 73. They were able to hide, and Rome couldn't get them. Eventually, Rome got frustrated, and they just... They literally built a big road and they pushed this thing with a big ram and they knocked the wall down and they went in. And when they got there, all of the Jewish people had committed suicide because they didn't want their women and children in the brothels and subject to slavery. So the Jews, uh, during the revolt in Israel, when they destroyed the temple, yeah, they took the Jewish people, thousands, 30,000, 40,000 to Rome. And guess what they worked on? Guess what they built? But what they had learned from the temple period was how to build stuff with Herod. So the Romans took that and used that ingenuity, and they built the Colosseum. You'll see the exact same building techniques in the Colosseum. So that Jewish group of slaves migrated over to Rome, and and they built that. I had no idea. When we were in Rome last summer, they told me that, and I finally connected the dots. And it it was just a cool thing. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. This is the the walking down through uh, the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, where it said it was so intense the night before that Jesus cried blood, sweat blood. It was so intense, and his disciples couldn't stay awake and pray with him, but he knew what was coming, and they didn't fully understand. So 
you know, it, it, it makes the hair stand up on my, when you really think about the significance of, of that night, that place, that day, what he was willing to do for us. And he knew, he knew the Lord was going to say, you got to do this. He knew it, but he wanted to ask anyway in his brokenness, but he fully surrendered. He fully surrendered. I love this guy. He's my buddy. Uh, I tell you, that's how I feel. You know, everybody thinks, oh, Bob's got it together, right? But I walk around and I feel like that. And um, I just, you know, my strength comes from him. And when I try and do it in my strength, it's not, it's, it's stressful. I don't like it. And it's a joyful thing to surrender. Um, and, 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 and people can surrender to the Lord through some very difficult circumstances that they don't control because of the politics of the time. We're going to, again, we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. So to wrap it up, Christ had a job to do and he knew it was going to be hard, but he resisted all temptation and he finished well. That's our model. What's God given you to do? What job does he have for you? How are you being distracted by not surrendering? What, is, what are you not surrendered to? What part of your life do you need to surrender to the Lord so that he can use you? It's good, man, when you can find those. And I think it's a lifelong thing to re-surrender, to find other areas where you're not surrendered. And you know what? We need to have the grace as a body not to be offended by that because all of us are at different places. Can we agree to have grace with each other? You know, to understand that we're all still breaking down those strongholds and we're all at different places and we shouldn't be offended by that. Why can't we love people through that and extend grace when we, when, when we can? Uh, politics are come in conflict with God's word. Standing up for God's word has proven in history to be painful. Okay? We're not to be obnoxious or judgmental, but we can't deny scripture. We can't deny what Jesus taught. Uh, we'll leave all the judging to the Lord. Our job is just to love people on their walk and don't get caught in soundbite arguments about what the scripture says or doesn't say. Just walk it out. Keep the lips shut and let's just walk it out and love people. They'll figure it out. If they're seeking the Lord, they're going to figure it out, whether they're a Muslim or a Buddhist or a, uh, if they're an illegal immigrant coming from El Salvador, let's just love them. Let's just stay out of the politics and do our job, which is to surrender to the Lord, love it, point them to God, and let them find the Lord. I hope that they find them. May not find them till they're old. Are we that patient to wait until they're old to find the Lord? That's the kind of patience we're called to have. In the United States, and I know I need to wrap it up. The United States is this cool experiment in democracy. And our, our, the roots of democracy were with Alexander the Great, with Rome, all the way through that period. And it's evolved to the point now where we have this incredible experiment in the West where people are free to worship, okay? But we're human and we repeat the same patterns and we demonize people. And we demonize people who look different. And every, every generation, it's, you know, my family of Polish immigrants, man, you talk about discriminated against. They couldn't speak the language. Nobody wanted them around. If you were an Italian immigrant, if you were whatever. And it's, it just repeats itself, you know? And as a body of believers, we're called to stand against that. But we stand against it the way, uh, and, and not in a zealous, beat them over the head way, 
We do it the way Jesus did it. Calm, loving, with strength in belief. But but he, he wasn't out there whacking people over the head with it. Uh, I just want Jesus, and I want the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple, and it's that good. All right, so we're going to close in prayer, and the worship band's going to come up. Uh, Dave is going to, Dave and whoever else, why don't you go in the back corner over here. If, uh, if you need prayer, if there's an area in your life that you just want to pray uh, an ability to surrender and you want somebody to pray with you, go, go find Dave and Becca. Uh, if there's an area that's maybe unbroken or that the Lord's just re- put on your mind today, revealed to you, and you just want some prayer to be strong in that, then go grab Dave and, and do it. We're going we're gonna, to uh, worship our, our way out with this song.